Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Life's Legends, a podcast where we talk about the stories that have shaped and guided us through life. This month is Lord of the Rings month, and I am here with my great friend, Daniel. Say hello. Hello, everyone. Um, so there's going to be spoilers for the Lord of the Rings movies. So if you haven't seen those movies, first, what are you doing? Go, go do that. They're long. I know. They're long. I know. But it's so worth it. Just get in there and then come back immediately. Come back after that and watch these episodes. Um, we're also, if you've watched the other episodes, we're doing something a little bit different. We're breaking this up. Hopefully, that gives us a little more time to, like, actually talk about stuff. Hopefully. Um, so, Daniel, we've got some questions. We've got some intro questions for you. Uh, so, first of all, how old are you? I'm 26 years old. I'll be turning 27 in July. There we go. Very nice. Daniel, what's your favorite animal? My favorite animal is a cat. We have two cats back home. One of them is very, very affectionate. Her name's Liza Jane. The other is named Maeve, and we're going to be talking about orcs and goblins later on. Maeve is what you call a couch goblin. She hides under the couch and you just see these beady eyes staring out at you. Um, <laughs> so she's a couch goblin, but that's okay. Other than that, she's nice. So, but yes, cats are my favorite animal. That's... So, sorry to all the dog people out there. I like dogs too, but cats are where it's at. First of all, I don't know that I knew your favorite animal was a cat. Um, and, and secondly, you came prepared on that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had some time to think about it, you know. And, <laughs> I just, I, like, as soon as I like saw a goblin, I was like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity, you know. Yeah. The segues in just naturally. Yeah, so you got a couch goblin at home? Yes. <laughs> That's good. Okay, Daniel, what's your occupation? So currently, <clears throat> I am a pastor in the Methodist Church, and I'm also a seminary student as well. Um, I'm attending Asbury Theological Seminary part-time, uh, mostly online, but I do go down uh, for intensives from time to time. Um, my hope is to graduate in May of 2025, so hopefully uh, two more years. Um, but yeah, my, my main call right now is um, I'm just serving uh, serving God in the church and serving his people in the church and uh, you know learning through seminary uh, as well. That's where God's called me in this time of life. And lastly, Daniel, what is your dream? What's your dream for the future? So my dream for the future, my hope is to eventually become ordained um, and become an ordained elder in, in the Methodist Church. Um, but also, it's, it's something really I'm just open to whatever you know the Lord might have in store. Um, you know, it's something where um, I've thought about other and other people have mentioned this to me as well. Talked about you know maybe pursuing a doctorate at some point uh, down the road. Um, maybe teaching. I really enjoy teaching, um, so maybe like being a professor or something like that somewhere down the road. I would emphasize the down the road part because uh, that's <laughs> sure. there's a lot of stuff that we're that I'm doing right now. Um, you know, raising a family is definitely one of the biggest ones among them right now. Um, but you know, just trying to you know take it one day at a time and see what God has in store. You know. Yeah, that's great. 
That's great. Yeah, you definitely have the brain for it. You, you could definitely do a doctorate. I believe that. Um, but probably let's do the MDiv first, and then we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. But that's great. That's great that's to hear. Very, that's very kind of you to say, Luke. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know. I pretend to be a nice guy. Um, <laughs> so, you know, this podcast is all about stories, and how what they mean for us and, and how they've shaped us and stuff like that. Um, and so I like to give an opportunity for, for my guests to shout out something either you're currently experiencing or you just like as well and you want maybe the listeners to check that out too. So like it can be like a it can be like a movie or a book or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, anything you want. You're gonna like this one, I think. <clears throat> a story I'd like to shout out is the live action version starring Jim Carrey of How the Grinch <laughs> Stole Christmas. <laughs> it is such an underrated movie. All right, I know it's it's it is so different from you know the cartoon version that we all grew up with. I I understand that, and it's not everyone's cup of tea. But oh my goodness, there are so many powerful points in that movie. It's hilarious, but it also contains, you know, a critique of, you know, the secularized Christmas that we often, you know, experience. Like, you just have to watch it. It's it's funny. It has some deep and profound scenes in it. Like, I know we're pretty far away from Christmas, but you can watch it any time of year. It's, so I would shout out the Jim Carrey version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> That's incredible. I, I, I'm almost scared with how prepared you are for these questions because these are the ones that don't matter. And you're, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. That's great. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. My, my shout out this month, a little different, is, uh, so I've been watching through, I don't know if you've heard of the show, Better Call Saul. It's related to Breaking yeah. Bad. So I've been watching through it. The final season just got released on Netflix. I'm not even done with the final season. So I I, I hesitate even to shout it out like this. But I loved Breaking Bad. And I really like Better Call Saul. I like it maybe as much as Breaking Bad. So that's the one I want to shout out. We're here to talk about Lord of the Rings. So... What made you choose Lord of the Rings for this podcast? So, like, I think the biggest thing... It's just my favorite story. Like, it's a story that I first, you know, encountered it in in high school. Um, I remember, like, my dad uh, telling me, you know, about it a little bit and telling me, you know, oh, it was such a big part of high school for me. Um, and, you know, and so I picked up the books and started reading. I'm like wow like this is everything that is advertised you know this is an epic story it draws you in there's a huge detailed world and like the way tolkien writes is you know amazing um so you know i i started with the books and read those and then you know and then started in the films um i was born in in 96 and so i was in high school like about a decade or so after um the after the movies came out came out but um then i watched the movies and like oh my goodness like this helps to bring what i've read in the books to life and yes there are some differences and there are always you know differences that exist between the books and between the movies but i was i was very impressed with how faithful the movies were to 
the books and how the movies really brought to life that detailed world and that epic story um, that you find in the book. Um, so yeah, there, I guess the biggest reason I chose it was just because I love the story. I love the world in which it takes place. Um, I love the, the strong characters and the strong plot points and the, you know, the epic scenes in the movies. The music is absolutely phenomenal. I think we're going to probably talk about that a little bit uh, later on. Um, and, and on top of all of it, J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian, and he definitely infused some Christian parallels and morals into his story. And it's amazing to see how those play themselves out and how even in the movies, a lot of those are preserved. So Yeah. I watched these movies, um, I think, when I was in high school. Um, I had the books read to me as a kid. I think my mom read the Lord of the Rings books to me um, when I was a little kid, but I didn't remember much of that story, and, and I definitely watched the movies with my grandma, actually, um, in high school. Shout out to Nana. In When I was in high school, she, she really loves these stories, too. But I hadn't revisited it very much at all since then, and and it was it was a I mean it was a blast to to watch them again. It was great. I had forgotten so much, and so it was, it was great to get back in there. I was I was glad that you picked it. So let's get to one of our listener questions. One of the great things about now doing three episodes a month is we have three listener questions. This is one of them. So if you could choose a race to be in this world any of the races which one would you pick i know for me so here's the thing I, a lot of people are like oh you know the elves you know they get to live forever they're so cool and everything and the books tolkien basically says yeah to be an elf is not that fun because basically you get to see all the evil of the world and you know you're just kind of you just you just kind of experience more grief i guess than anything so, and then the dwarves are cool, but like, I don't know, do you really <laughs> want to just hide in your mountain all the time, yeah. just digging for treasures and stuff like that? I feel like you get bored, I feel like you get claustrophobic. I guess honestly from, like, and you know, honestly for me, I'd either, I'd either want to be a man, you know, just, you know, Rohan, Gondor, those kingdoms are just so noble and so cool, mm. or, you know, just be a hobbit. Who doesn't want to sit around and be able to have like six or seven meals a day? And live in this beautiful green country where you just kind of, kind of garden and you, you can just enjoy peace and quiet and good tilled earth, as, as he says. So, <laughs> so either yeah. a man or a hobbit, one of the two. Yeah. See, I would have absolutely picked Elf as as a as really probably through college. I, I would have picked an Elf. Now, man, I just want to be a hobbit. I just want to. I just want to be doing exactly what you said just enjoying that tilled earth i yeah yeah that that i definitely think and we'll probably get into this at some point that there's a lot of instances with the elves that it seems like tolkien is specifically saying like yeah you don't really want to be immortal it there's some downsides right, right. um to, the, to that so yeah i think i would say i would say hobbit so, I think it's always good. Every story has a protagonist and an antagonist. And so, let's start with the protagonist, Frodo. How do you feel about Frodo? What are your thoughts on Frodo? Yeah, Frodo is like... 
he's an interesting character. He's a very complex character, I feel like, in a lot of ways. Um, like both in the books and in the movies. I, I get. I know. We're, I think we're focusing on the movies here in this, in this podcast. But I feel like even in the books, he's kind of a complex character too. Like he can, he can be very brave, but also he has his moments of weakness. I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, like, on one hand, like in in Moria, like you see him, like he's like charging at the orcs, and you know he he's going at them. Then on Weathertop, he trips over his own feet and falls on the ground. Um, And maybe in some ways it just kind of shows, like, he's real. You know, like, we all have our good moments, we all have our bad moments. Um, You know, we make good decisions sometimes, like, you know, letting Sam come along. That's a really, that was a really good decision that Frodo made. And he also had the wisdom and foresight to see that, you know, the ring was eventually going to tear the fellowship apart, so he knew that he needed to leave and go yeah. on his own. Um, but then he makes the bad decisions too. Like he lets he, he becomes too, in many ways, like too. I don't know how you want to say, too maybe too sympathetic towards Gollum. Mm. You know, he sees how the ring corrupted Gollum, and he's a ring bearer too, so he knows what's like. So he's just so quick to forgive Gollum and to trust him and. Obviously, that ends up uh, costing them later down the road. Right. I guess, yeah, Frodo overall is just a, he's a complex character and maybe in some ways a real character. You know, it's, we often look to the protagonist to just be the perfect goody two-shoes guy always makes the perfect choices and always does what's right. But Frodo's not quite there. So, and that's, that's an interesting, I guess, facet about him. Yeah. He's an interesting protagonist. I, I'm, I'm with you on that, 100%. I didn't... So as I was I was watching, I was unclear about why it seemed very important that Frodo is the ring bearer. Like, it was very important that it was him. Even to the point that, like, we get into the, the third movie, and, like, Sam, who's been here the whole time, is, is clearly, I would say most people would probably agree is pure-hearted, stout, you know, even optimistic, but he but he can't do it. Even he's not supposed to carry the ring, right? It's it's Frodo's job. And this is like understood What is it? What's going on there? Do you do you know? Do you have any ideas or anything like that? I know he was the one at the Council of Elrond who um well, even, I guess he, let's go back even back to the beginning of the movie the the ring passes from Bilbo to Frodo Frodo inherits the ring from his uncle um, from his uncle Bilbo and so he has the ring and now this is before you know Gandalf knows that this is the one ring of power um, which you know houses all of Sauron's power yeah um, it's a big deal I would say right but something where Frodo has the ring and like he doesn't, he can't give it to Gandalf because Gandalf doesn't want to be tempted by its power. Mm. Um, and then, you know, Frodo has to hold on to it and keep it safe, um, and get out of the Shire, and eventually get it to Rivendell. Um, and then at the Council of Rivendell, he's chosen. Um, in many ways, he just, and in many ways, it's just, he says, you know, I'm willing to do it. Um, you know. It, as he sees all these people arguing, you know, about what to be done with the ring, and you know, 
Gimli, you know, saying, like, never trust an elf, I'll be dead before I see the ring in the hand of an elf. And you have Boromir, who's tempted by it, you know, you have men and elves and dwarves just all kind of, you know, fighting over it. You know, Frodo just says, I will take it. I will take the ring to Mordor. I don't know the way, but I'll, I'll take the ring. Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, I think probably the reason why Frodo is the best candidate to bear the ring is because... You know, he's just, it, it comes to him. He is willing to bear it. And also, this isn't, this is, I guess it's touched a little bit on in the movie as well, that Elrond mentions that, you know, Frodo has shown an extraordinary resilience to the ring's evil. Mm. Um, and hobbits kind of, for some reason, have this natural tendency that they're not corrupted by the ring as easily. They still are. I mean, Smeagol, sure. Gollum is a pretty good example of how even hobbits can become corrupted. Yeah, it um, didn't go great for him. No, it did not. But I guess probably that would be why Frodo is probably the best candidate. Why why he carries yeah. the ring. Because it came, it came to him, he was willing, and hobbits have this kind of resilience. They're not tempted the same way that men are or or other races. I like that among this race of, of very peace-loving, you know, hobbits are very, seem, like, as we said earlier, very, like, just living in in this time at peace, you know. Frodo's got a little bit of, like, adventure spirit in him. Mm-hmm. I think this is true of probably all the hobbits, maybe with the exception of Sam. Who sometimes seems like he just wishes he could go back. But like Mary and Pepin also are definitely like into the adventure. Which seems like they're almost like outcast as hobbits because of that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Like if you read the books, like hobbits don't go on adventures. Like <laughs> like if you like if you if you look like if you read in like the book The Fellowship of the Ring, like they're like lengthy paragraphs where like you'll have like the gaffers and like the old hobbits sitting in in you know like the bars and stuff like that and they're just like uh these young little rascals going off on adventures <laughs> what are they, what are they doing what do they know like yeah they're just they're not having it <laughs> exactly it's so funny yeah i it definitely seemed like that they didn't even have like those obviously those that text from the book that that would outline that there's one guy like in the garden and he gives them like this grim face in the yep. beginning, and then he does it when they get back. When they get back at the, at end, the yeah. end, they've saved all of the known world, and the guy's still just like, mm, "I don't know about them." <laughs> it's very funny. It's very funny. But like, there's something about that spirit, you know, that starts the hero's journey for Frodo in, in this in this story. I think he's a very interesting protagonist and it's cool to follow yeah even towards the end where he's getting to be a little less mentally with us yeah it's still very (laughs) interesting to follow and and you see how kind of heavy a weight yeah that is yeah the ring takes its toll you know as yeah as things go on and but that's why he has sam you know with him Mm. to help him you know during that time yeah moving along let's talk about the antagonist. There are a couple, at least, that I felt were antagonist-like. So, first off, I guess I'll say, 
the first kind of face that we have as an antagonist. How do you feel about Saruman? Am I saying that name right? Yeah, Saruman. That's the okay. Yeah, don't be like Ralph Bakshi and say Eruman. Just, just don't, please. Eruman. What? How did you get Eruman? <laughs> R- Ralph. This is a little off topic. Ralph Bakshi made a animated version of Lord of the Rings, oh. and he thought that Sauron and Saruman sounded too similar, so he tr- tr- changed Saruman's name into Eruman. Which, okay, I can see why he did it, but yeah. it just does not work. So please don't do that. Well, yeah, that's not his name. It, they are similar, but yes, Sauron. Saruman. Wow, I just did it. I just did it. We just talked about it. Anyway. <laughs> the White Wizard. <laughs> yes, the White Wizard. How so, do you feel about him as an antagonist? Yeah, Saruman, he's also an interesting character, so... In many ways, he's kind of a sad character because we know even, I mean, it's, it's talked about in the books quite a bit, but we see it in the movies too. He was originally good. You know, he's originally part of, um, he's part of the five wizards, part of the White Order um, that was dedicated to protecting Middle Earth. Um, he's the head of Gandalf's order. He's Gandalf's trusted friend. Um, he's originally good. Um, he would originally walk through the forests of Fangorn, Treebeard, who we'll talk about later, you know, he said, you know, there was once a time when Saruman would walk through my woods, but now he has a mind of metal. Mm. Um, okay, so Saruman was originally good, but the problem is he made the mistake of looking into the Palantir, that black orb, um, and he saw Sauron's strength, and he decided to join evil rather than fight against it. Whereas, you know, Gandalf says, you know, we ha- we must counter him, you know, we must resist Sauron. Saruman just gets it in his head because he looks through the Palantir. And, and because Sauron is that way, too, he kind of has this way of, like, trying to discourage you. Um, like, Saruman just comes to the conclusion of, you know, we must join him, Gandalf. We must join with Sauron. It would be wise. At least it's wise in his eyes. Of course, Gandalf is like, when did Saruman the Wise abandon reason for madness? As we're all going there, like, what are you doing? Yeah. But it's he is a sad character in that way that, you know, he, he was originally good, but he let he let Sauron's strength intimidate him and sway him over to the other side. Yeah, I think you could see in the beginning of the first movie. This is definitely not like a thing Gandalf expected. So yeah. whatever relationship they had, and I'm sure the books do like expound on this much better, um, but whatever relationship they had, Gandalf wouldn't have expected this of S- Saruman. Um, right. Which is, it's yeah, it's like kind of sad mm-hmm. in a way, but I can, I can almost understand the idea, right? Because he looked like he saw that mm-hmm. power. So yeah, he, he is interesting gives kind of that I honestly think that most like antagonists anymore for sure have like this like I'm really a good guy in a bad guy's clothes cause like there's always like some kind of like deep like good reason you know like yeah yeah something taken too far I'm thinking like you know Thanos is like 
I'm trying to make sure everything keeps going, and that's why right. I want to do this. And like Saruman's kind of in this vein, but not the main antagonist at all. Right. Versus this story, I think has a clearly evil main antagonist. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But before we get to him, the Witch King of Angmar. Am I saying that one right? Yep, you are. Mm, two for two. I actually didn't think at the beginning. I I was wondering how to like talk about the ring wraiths as like a collective, and there's like, oh, one of them has a name. So how do you feel about him, his role in that last movie, and and, and really anything you think about him? Yeah, he's he. You know, it's interesting because the Witch King of Angmar, yet again, it's, it's another in some ways kind of a tragic character mm. he was once we saw we saw from the very beginning nine rings were given aragorn explains it too that you know, nine rings were given to the nine kings of men they were blinded by greed and took them and then eventually they just kind of because of the influence of those nine rings um eventually they transformed into these ring wraiths neither living nor dead without form and slaves slaves to sauron really um, that they're bound to serve him. So again, kind of a, a tragic character, but like Saruman, just pure evil. Yeah. I mean, he, the Witch King of Nazgul and the Witch King in particular, nasty. I mean, stabs Frodo in the shoulder, almost turning him into a ring wraith at, at Weathertop. Um, yeah. And then later on, you know, he leads the armies of Mordor against... Uh, against the free peoples of the world and especially against Gondor um, you know just merciless and you know he's he is just one bad dude you know yeah. and he's and he's pretty intimidating um, I mean when you see him fighting Eowyn like if he, you would not want to go up against him he's no. just rotten and, and cruel and just merciless yeah that uh <laughs> the giant flail yeah <laughs> That's an intimidating weapon. I'm sitting there like, from a practical standpoint, this is not that great of a weapon. But he's swinging that thing around, and I don't want any. I want anything to do with that. Yeah, he's definitely intimidating. It's yeah. It's and I like what you said about both him and Saruman. To kind of clarify, just in case people were confused, they're definitely evil. It's not, but it's like a. It, there's a tragic tone here. Mm -hmm. They they weren't always evil, right. but have but have turned from the big guy, the big baddie, uh, and the main antagonist. How do you feel about Sauron? Sauron, he's he's the biggest baddie of them all, pretty much. So I will say this: like, I won't get into this too much, but even Sauron. Even Sauron was once kind of a good guy. If you go back into like the Silmarillion, which is like the prequel to both The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, Tolkien actually talks about how like Morgoth was the first like big bad dark lord, and Sauron was became was swayed by Morgoth and was slave to him. And there's this kind of this idea that like even Sauron at one point wasn't necessarily all bad. But, I mean, it, that's not really brought out in the movies, though, so I won't go too much into that. But that's good. I mean, that's good insight to have, too, about him, though. Right. 
but the thing is though sauron he is just evil he is <laughs> no kidding. he's just he wants to rule over all of middle earth and and to slave others to his will and he is willing to do whatever is necessary to accomplish that you know he it's something where he he wants to be the he wants to have full rule and full dominion over all of middle earth um and he won't stop until he gets that I mean, one of the reasons the reason he made that one ring was so that he could you know try and have that power over the other rings as well so that he could you know sway all of middle earth to his rule um and I think what I find compelling about Sauron, too, is, from a Christian perspective, Sauron, I think, is a reflection, in many ways, of the tendency that we as humans have, that we want, we want to control and rule over the world around us as well, at least in some ways. We might not admit it at first, or we might think, like, oh, well, you know, it's not that bad, but deep down... All of us want to have some kind of control. We want to be able to control the world around us. We want to have rule. We want to have dominion. And so I feel like it's something where when we look at Sauron, like in some ways, like we're looking at like this is what it looks like when we as humans take, you know, our self-interest to the extreme. You know, this is this is like this is if if it's allowed to flourish and to, and to fester, like this is what that sinful nature within us looks like. This, if you give it to someone who's extremely powerful, you get a Sauron. You know, that's that, that. That was just kind of my thought as I was, as I was reflecting on Sauron. I'm like, yeah, he's like a, he's like a picture of like the worst of us, in mm-hmm. some ways. I got a question. I don't know if you have the answer or know the answer. I'm, this is not on the list. And I told you I wouldn't do that to you, but here I am doing it <laughs> to you. Come on, Luke, really? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> do we know what Sauron is? So Sauron is... Like, race-wise, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he is... I think... I'm trying to remember what the actual name is. So Morgoth was a Valar, which was basically, like, one of the lesser gods beneath the one god, Iluvatar. Um, oh wow, this gets really deep. <laughs> so there's like the Valar, which are like kind of like lesser gods, and then there are there's another level below that. I think they're called the Ainur. Maybe. Okay. Um, this is where I wish I had my brother Joey because he could like spout it off just like that. It's <laughs> kind of um, locked down. Joe, my brother Joey is also a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Um, and, but basically he's on the level below like the lesser gods. So actually like. Gandalf, I think, is also in Ainur. Okay. Ein- I can't say it. Ein- <laughs> Ainur. Right. I, I, I can't think. pronounce the names. Yeah, it's, it's it gets difficult. Um, but I think actually him and Gandalf are on a similar level. But I think Sauron is kind of bigger and badder. Yeah. Um, he's he was I think the most powerful of the Ainur, especially the evil ones under um, under Morgoth. Gotcha. So that's. So he's he's definitely very powerful. Yeah. Um, of course, we see you know without the One Ring, his power is limited. Um, that's why he's so desperate to get it back. Um, but he but even I mean it's something where Saruman himself says you know 
He cannot take physical form, but his spirit has lost none of its potency. Yeah. I'm gonna, that was a scary quote. Mm-hmm. Like, that was definitely foreboding. Yeah, that was, that was scary. Could I? Sorry, could I add one, add other, one other character who is kind of a villain? A lot of people who watch Lord of the Rings will say, oh yeah, he's definitely a villain. And I think you can make a case he is. Denethor. Denethor is he's, <laughs> he's kind of a villain of sorts. He is sure. a, he's a jerk to Faramir. Uh, yeah. Yes. He is so he is like the worst he gets the worst dad of the year award <laughs> by four. <laughs> yeah, move over, you know, Darth Vader, move over, <laughs> you know, like whoever else. Like Denethor wins yeah. worst dad of the year award. Oh, he's but, such a bad dad. He is. But, like, I wanted to just say, too, we've talked about how, you know, there's a tragic element to the villains. And I think even with him, too, there's there's another tragic element there. He also looks into a Palantir um, and also and kind of follows a path similar to Saruman. He doesn't outright join Sauron, but when he sees the strength of Mordor, he just kind of becomes cynical. He kind of becomes hopeless. He just says, you know against the power that's risen in the east there can be no victory and that just drives him into despair and then eventually into madness um but i feel like something where it's a, again it's kind of a tragic story but he's he's definitely i think you could make the case that he's pretty evil so yeah he ain't good i that i I was like sitting there watching the third movie, right? And he's like put he's putting oil on himself or like I mean, I'm getting to say it's probably not gasoline, but he's putting a flammable liquid, I assumed, mm-hmm. on himself and his living son mm-hmm. who's still on this pile. I like I was like, "Oh, this is bad." Mm-hmm. And like you could tell kind of from right from the jump I think as soon as Pippin and Gandalf go into him, you're yeah. like, this guy's not going to be our friend. No, you can tell like there's something off here already. I mean, I mean to be fair, he had just received news that Boromir, his yeah. his oldest son, was dead. You know, so I mean, you can kind mm-hmm. of see like he was starting to crack a little bit you yeah. know, at that point. Um, but again, a tragic character. But I think you could make the case that he's evil. Yeah. Yeah, he needs help. Definitely needs help. <laughs> See, why, yeah. didn't, why didn't they just have a therapist at Minas Tirith, you know? <laughs> so many problems <laughs> could have been avoided. <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah, he is... He's definitely a tragic character, but definitely a villain. You're, you're absolutely right. It's good to include him in the antagonist. There's probably another character that I could include, but it consciously refusing to include an antagonist, but we'll definitely talk about him. I think I have an idea for (laughs) these precious. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You got it. Sauron maybe in particular, but really all of these antagonists together, how how do you think they do as antagonists? Do you think they do a good job, bad job? How do you feel? We've kind of talked a little bit about it, but how do you feel about how they do as antagonists? I, mean, I think they're pretty they're pretty good villains you know mm-hmm. you're you are disgusted by them you're afraid of them mm-hmm. you know it's just something where 
I don't know what more you can ask for in a real one. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, they're just, they're intimidating, they're evil, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think they do great. I, th I think all four of them even do great as as antagonists. I think they can even serve a little like distinct pieces even of that antagonist puzzle if you will. Uh, there's something about the the fact that Sauron part of his goal is to actually get them to come to him. So it's not like He's a villain that needs to attract them towards him instead of like a pure aggressive mm -hmm. villain. There's something cool about that, yeah. especially with a main character who mm -hmm. is adventurous. Right. They match up well. Yeah. Almost yeah. in the worst way for Frodo, who's naturally adventurous and then is getting this beckoning call the whole mm -hmm. time towards Sauron. Yeah, for sure. They're interesting. They're all interesting. For sure. It's interesting too, like, just that, like, even with, with Sauron, like, it's something where he's definitely evil, but in some ways he's human too, because there's like a part where Gandalf is talking with Aragorn, and he says to Aragorn, like, yes, you know, Sau Sauron is powerful, but he's not yet above fear. Doubt ever gnaws at him. And like, it's something where, like, when... He finds out that Aragorn, you know, is going to, uh, as Aragorn's rising up as the, the heir of Numenor and as king, um, Sauron goes, Sauron rushes his plan forward to take out Minas Tirith. He says, we'll raise Minas Tirith to the ground before we see a king on the throne of Gondor. He will not risk, you know, the people of Middle-earth uniting under one banner. You know, mm -hmm. he, 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 you know it, like, there's just this kind of this idea that, you know, Sauron's a big bad guy but even he is prone to fear and to doubt as well. Yeah. And so he kind of, yeah. Yeah. It, it makes him interesting. It makes him more interesting than if he was just a, a big bad guy in a tower that he has these kind of fears and plans. And so it's, it's a cool way for the story to interact with him. Anyway. Sure. Yeah. So now let the floodgates open. <laughs> what other characters do you want to talk about? And there are many. So we can go wherever you want to first. Oh boy. <laughs> you go for it. Um, I mean, there's, yeah, there's so many. And I feel like we've already talked about, you know, quite a few. Mm -hmm. um, maybe like just kind of going with some of the themes that you see in the characters. Mm-hmm. So one theme I think that you see in some of the characters in Lord of the Rings is you see this theme of redemption, of redemption from mistakes. I think three characters that really bring that out are Faramir, Boromir, and Theoden um, in many ways. Yeah. Um, you know, we, with Faramir, you know, he starts off by, you know, he encounters Frodo and, and Sam in the wild and now, in the movies, he tries... This doesn't happen in the books, so... In the books, Faramir doesn't do this, but... In the movie, he tries to take the ring back to Gondor. He wants to give it to his father. Because mm -hmm. his father's a jerk, but he figures, Hey, if, maybe if I give him this mighty gift, then maybe he'll see... You know, maybe it'll be a chance for me to show my quality. Yeah. Um, and so, he almost does that, but 
Sam finally gets through to him that like, hey, the ring drove your brother mad. Um, this is not a good idea. And so there's kind of this redemption for Faramir of, in the end, he does the right thing and he sets them free and says, you know, go with the goodwill of all men. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has that redemption from his mistake. And later on, too, he's redeemed from his father's madness. He's saved by by Pippin. Um, yeah. So he's, he's saved from you know, his father's mistake as well. Um, with Boromir also you see redemption like his is a, is a major one um, yeah that you know like you see him getting corrupted by the ring from the very beginning at the council of Elrond and eventually you know he does try to take the ring from Frodo but in the end you know he, he realizes what he's done in the end he says you know what you know I may have made that mistake but I am going to defend these hobbits and he does end up you know giving his life to defend Merry and Pippin even though they get carried off and there's kind of that redemption for him of you know like Aragorn you know as as Boromir lay, lay dying like Aragorn comes to him and you know Boromir's like you know like forgive me you know I like I shouldn't have take, tried to take the ring from him um and you know Aragorn says like no you you've like you've died with honor and you know you've done you've done well by your people you know um and there's, there's just kind of that powerful moment of like, you know, Aragorn affirm, affirming Boromir saying, you know, you, you've done, you, you've atoned for your mistake. That was one of the most powerful moments, and I'm jumping the shark a little bit here, but, but that was a huge moment, I think. And it, like this idea of Boromir does make this huge, this huge mistake and then realizes it and and is right away spends no time but gets up and does the right thing mm-hmm. there's not this like ah I'm trying to think of the right word there's not like I think oftentimes when I find myself having done the wrong thing it is difficult it's very difficult for me to even then just turn around turn all the way around right and and adjust back back to what I should do without like feeling strange about it but just being able to recognize I was wrong I know what's right and I'm just gonna do it no matter what that like looks like or is perceived as and it's really impactful I I like really related with Boromir mm-hmm. on that I I have to assume I'm supposed to but it's it was very good not to derail your train. Oh no but... no that's no it, you're right though it shows that you know Boromir does have a nobility that even it, it's kind of you know there's that the idea that you know yes men um you know he's Boromir Boromir himself even says it to Aragorn like yes in in men there's frailty but there is you know there is courage and there's strength also mm-hmm. and like it kind of you see that played out in Boromir that there's the frailty of you know trying to take the ring but there's also the courage of you know being willing to stand up for the hobbits and even give his life um, yeah. for the hobbits it shows you know his his nobility um, i teared up three times through this process that was one of the times <laughs> boromir's death hits hard yeah it hits so hard because it's, it's just one of those things where 
because of how he redeems himself in that way, you're just like, oh, why? You know, why does... He, 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 yes, he did the wrong thing, but he turned around and did the right thing. So I'll be curious to hear what your other two moments mm. are because yeah, that's that's one moment that always makes me tear up as well as when is Boromir's the departure of Boromir as it's called in the books. Oh yeah. Oh, we'll get there. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> we'll definitely get to the other two. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry. I derailed your whole thing oh, here. No, you're totally fine. <laughs> Um, the only other thing I was going to say about the, that, the theme of redemption, kind of along the lines of Vormir's Theoden, also I think has a similar arc in that, you know, he starts off as, you know, he's under the curse of Sar- Saruman and, uh, you know, is under is, his mind is poisoned and he loses his son, uh, Theodred. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something where, you know, it's something where at Helm's Deep, you know, he, he, he makes... He, in many ways, it seem, seems like he makes a mistake by leading the people to Helm's Deep. Um, he suffers tremendous losses there. Um, you know, if it weren't for Aragorn, you know, they would have lost. Um, mm. And yeah. then th- I think the low moment for Theoden is when he goes to... Uh, they go and confront Saruman. By the way, this is, you probably didn't watch the extended edition. I did not. So in the extended edition, there is actually a scene where they confront Saruman at the top of Orthanc. Huh. Um, so you actually get to see a little bit of closure with Saruman. Um, and one thing that Saruman does is he starts off, you know, trying to, you know, trying to sweet talk Theoden. Trying to say like, oh, you know, we've had peace in the past. Can't we have peace again? He's trying to almost like trying to like put a spell on him and trying to, you yeah. know trying to get him to like be like oh you know don't worry about it you know we can just smooth things over Theoden has none of it he's like we'll have peace when your body hangs from a noose for the sport of your own crows that's when we'll have peace (laughs) Um, I really like Theoden (laughs) I liked him before I knew that and I like him more now he's great he's He's a, he's a powerful character, um, but the thing is, so after after Saruman realizes he can't sweet talk Theoden anymore, then he just lets loose. And one of the things that Saruman says to Theoden very angrily, he says, "You are a lesser son of greater sires," and it just kind of you can see it kind of great on. Theoden's ears, because he, he kind of feels like, you know, he doesn't have a son anymore, like there's no one to carry on his family line yeah. anymore, you know, the Rohan is, you know, weaker than it was um, when he first became king, he's an old king now, um, and there's kind of this, even, and he says to Eowyn, you know, it wasn't Theoden of Rohan who led the people uh, to victory at Helm's Deep. Hmm. But that's a great quote, by the way. There's tons of them in these movies. That's one of them. There are, um, but eventually it's something where he has this opportunity. He's, we know that he, he's not very happy about Gondor, but he has this opportunity to say, you know, we're gonna make a dis, we're gonna make a difference. And he leads the armies of Rohan into the battle, into the siege of Gondor, into the battle of the Plainor Fields, and he. And I mean, the Rohirrim just go to town. Like, if it weren't for the Rohirrim, Gondor would be lost. 
Yeah. And, and yes, Theoden ends up losing his life um, due to the Witch King. Yeah. But Eowyn, you know, defends his body, and you know, Eowyn and Mary combine together um, so that Theoden can die with honor. And there's kind of a redemption there too. That the the most powerful line, and this line just this is a moment that makes me tear up too. Um, yeah. Theoden's death also hits so hard. He says, yes. He says, you know, I will now go to my fathers, in whose mighty company I will not now fear being ashamed mm. and you're just like there's a redemption there yeah that you know he he does not need to be ashamed he he fought valiantly and bravely and he did the right thing yeah yeah i really like theoden i honestly like he for real was in the, i don't want to tip my hand here but he he is like in the running for my favorite character in the whole series. I really liked him when I was going through it. There's a very heavy theme of of this like redemption. These these honestly a lot of times men. Now that I'm thinking about it, making these mistakes, and but not always because like you know I can think of Pippin. Uh, what did you call the black ball? The Palantir. Yes. He like he steals it from Gandalf in the middle of the night, and that's another. That's another redemption. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, and where he's like then is redeemed through that. We've been yeah. strangely fortunate. Yeah, we think I think of Gandalf's line. Yeah, we've been strangely fortunate. Pippin saw a glimpse of the enemy's plan. Yeah, yeah, and even yeah. There's there's a heavy theme of that throughout throughout for sure, but yeah, yeah I so. I'll, t I'll talk about ones I don't have as much to say about, and you can hop in. Uh, Legolas and Gimli. I'm going to take them together. So I remember watching these movies in high school, right? I thought these guys were a much bigger part of this story than I thought they were this time. Not that they play no part. It's just they're almost more comic relief sometimes. <laughs> and First of all, I loved it every time. <laughs> I really like, I love their dynamic together. The banter back and yes. forth, yeah. As they're in battles, Legolas is like shooting guys down, counting, yeah. like so Gimli can hear him. And then Gimli is like, that still only counts as one. <laughs> when he takes, when down, he takes down a huge yeah. freaking elephant yes. with a fortress on top of it. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, that still only counts as one. <laughs> I thought they were really funny. I liked them like in all the battles. It provided like a little bit of comic relief. Which honestly, you kind of need in some of these more tense scenarios and oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as far as like, think like story elements, they're they're not super, like, like they're not super needed. Almost, I I hesitate to say that. I just it's almost like they're like, we want like a elf and a dwarf to be here and have fun. They're gonna be fun they're gonna have fun fighting orcs that's what they're gonna do i don't know if you thought any more about those two or anything yeah i mean it's something where like in the books legolas and gimli are chosen because the fellowship needs to have representation from each of the races that are present at the council of elrond so legolas yeah. agrees to go for the elves and gimli agrees to go for the dwarves mm -hmm. um yeah it's something where they do a lot of comic relief and and 
some people hate that I, i've heard some people who are just like oh they ruined legolas and especially gimli like you know they're these noble warriors and you just reduce them to a laughing stock and i'm <laughs> like well yes you know they they do make them more humorous yeah but i guess you know it's something where also like maybe in some ways in a plot sense maybe they weren't needed but like in those battles they definitely were oh yeah like i mean it's just something where like with legolas like he literally takes down like half the enemy's army you know just yes. by doing what he's doing and gimli probably takes down well legolas took down 42 at helm's deep mm. gimli was sitting pretty at 43 so <laughs> <laughs> i first of all they're definitely new they're definitely great fighters and i think i've been guilty of this right like i've thought this about characters that like the humor takes away some of like that nobility aspect that we kind of see in theoden and boromir and stuff like that i absolutely think that both gimli and legolas do have this nobility and this like warrior's pride especially gimli has that warrior's pride oh, yeah. legolas is no joke like mm -hmm. you said Looks like he takes down half the army in pretty much every battle he's in. Right. So, like, I get why people would say that, but I, I definitely disagree. I think that the humor just makes them funny. And if anything, it makes me think that they're almost taking this less seriously than everyone around them, which may point to the fact that they're even stronger mm -hmm. than the rest of the people. But I love oh that one moment where he has uh it's Aragorn. Aragorn throws him, right? Tosses yeah, tosses, <laughs> tosses Gimli. He looks Yeah, yes, because it is Aragorn. Because he looks up at him and he's like, Don't tell the elf <laughs> Not a word. <laughs> it's that I loved that. But it, it's funny, but like he goes over there and fight like just him and Aragorn. Mm-hmm. Fighting the whole army, yeah. I oh, yeah. I like those two. I like kind of the levity they brought, and they were cool. They were oh, both yeah. very cool. Yeah, they're they're cool characters. Like you know that you have to respect them whenever they speak. You know, yeah. Legolas is this elf who has he's like thousands of years old and has wisdom and experience, and Gimli is just like he's the son of Gloin, who is in the Hobbit. He's a fierce mm. warrior, and so Gimli's a stalwart warrior as well i mean it's mm. something where like you think of that scene in moria where he stands up on top of balin's tomb and he's just like let them come there is still one dwarf in moria who still draws breath and you're like i don't want to fight this guy i really yeah. don't i pity the orcs who are coming to fight him yeah you know other characters that you'd like to do do you have any in particular you'd like to get there's a couple i feel like we should probably talk about before sure. we wrap the episode up Sure. But where would you like to go next? I guess going back to like the kingdom of Rohan, maybe we could talk a little bit about um, the two major uh, women who we see mm. um, in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, I guess specifically, we talked a little bit about Eowyn and how Eowyn um, defended, um, you know, Theoden, and how she and Mary combined together to take down the Witch King and. Eowyn is just such an interesting character in that way. It's it's something where, you know, Tolkien was kind of like a feminist before feminists were cool, you know, in many ways. It kind of seems like that with Eowyn. Definitely with Eowyn. Like, basically, he just shows, like, hey, women can, you know, they can kick butt, too. You know, women can can do this sort of stuff, too. Like, he, and it's kind of something where, like, you know, through, you see, like, at different points, 
in the movie, you know, Eowyn wants to prove herself. She's like, I can fight. And, you know, and Eowyn's like, no, war is the province of men, Eowyn. You know, you shouldn't mm. be, you shouldn't be here. Or you shouldn't yeah. seek to be in war or anything like that. But Eowyn's like, you know, we should be able to, like, we should be able to do this too. Um, and she, and it's something where I think was lost is that, like, the Witch King is such a big bad guy. We're talking about the Lord of the Nazgul, the one that no living man can kill. Mm. But she and Mary together, a woman and a hobbit, mm. they come together to put this baddie to rest. Did the Witch King of Angmore say that no living man can kill? Can has? Or, oh my word! You just said the quote, and I already—it's gone. It's no live. So. It, it, it was said of the Witch King that no yeah. living man could kill him. And then he quote, he said that to Eowyn as he was trying to, like, basically choke her to death. Yeah. I He said that, and I literally... I said out loud, that's no man. I was like, I gotcha. We gotcha, Witch King. Yeah, but that's, and that's exactly what Eowyn she says. She's I am no man. Yep. And that's another... Yep. That's such a great quote. Too. Yeah. It's like... You know what I like? One of the things. So, like, a lot of times I think when when authors or you know movie directors or anything are trying to do that stereotypical like feminist warrior woman role, mm -hmm. they're like stoic and like just tough, right? Mm -hmm. And unafraid of most things. One of the things I really loved about Eowyn. Is they're standing there in line of the battle, her and Mary, and they're both, you can see their faces, and they're scared, mm -hmm. which is, it's realistic. Erwin's right. not a coward, she's very brave, and no one would argue with that. But like, this is real, This there's like fear there, and mm -hmm. that's just realistic, I think. And I love to see that, and to still see how brave they are, both of them, mm -hmm. in the face of that that fear against the biggest bad on the whole field oh yeah absolutely yeah and she's she's real and also too you're kind of talking about how you know a lot of times when you have a feminist hero you know there's kind of this like they have to like be big and stoic and kind of Eowyn is still very feminine like yeah she's still you know very tender she's still very compassionate she's still um yeah, there's there's still a beauty and an elegance to her um that it, that like she it's it's kind of it's it's interesting how she keeps she keeps her femininity i guess however you'd say it sure while That's also it. while also breaking out of that and being the warrior and being the strong feminine presence yeah um on the battlefield as well and having that massive role of like taking down literally the captain of the hosts of mordor yeah. Like, literally, like, the Witch King was, like, second only to Sauron. So this was a big loss for Sauron. Right. To lose the Witch King. Yeah. I... Yeah, she's, she's... She's very cool. She is awesome. She's Eowyn's awesome. Eowyn's awesome. In both the books and the movies. Yeah. She's very... She's very awesome. Uh, you, But you did mention the other there lady... Is, yeah, there is Arwen as well. She's she's an interesting character too. You know, she doesn't really she's not she's not nearly as present in the book. She's much more present in the movies, and right. obviously she's not present on the battlefield like Eowyn is. Right. It's interesting just how she is. She also 
is kind of brought into the movies, I think, to add a little bit more of a feminine presence. And I think she really acts a lot as kind of a foil to Aragorn in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Aragorn is kind of constantly doubting himself, but she kind of keeps building him up and saying, you know, you are Isildur's heir, not Isildur himself. You know, like, yes, Isildur made the mistake of not destroying the ring when he found it and cut it off of Sauron's hand, but that doesn't mean that you will make the same mistakes. You're not bound to that fate. And of course, she also kind of she also kind of creates this love triangle between Aragorn and Eowyn, yeah, um, and Arwen as well. Um, okay, that's real. People feel that. that's good because I was watching these movies and I definitely felt that. But I was like, am I, am I reading something here that other people aren't getting? Okay, that's good. There is a love triangle going on. There, there is, and it's it's something where I feel like it's more present in the movies than it is in the books. In fact, I'm not, I'm not really sure how, I'm not really sure how the book handled it. And the book, like Eowyn did, did like Aragorn. Yeah. Um. But it, there's not really much said about like what Arwen was doing. Like Arwen doesn't show up nearly as much in the books as she does in the movies. So, it's kind of something where, she's definitely like, she's definitely a little bit more of an addition to the movies. But I think. Overall, she is a good addition because she helps to be a foil to Aragorn. She helps to round out his character a little bit more. And she also creates that love triangle as well that kind of adds in a little bit of tension to the story. Um, and she and it's something where she's a very graceful and elegant character as well. Um, yeah. You're, it's, it's actually something, as I was sitting here thinking about it, you talked about in your first podcast you did was The Prince of Egypt. Yeah. And you talked about how Zipporah was kind of like this... She wasn't necessarily like in the thick of the action, but she was very supportive of Moses and was very much like right next right next to him. Yeah. You know, kind of almost like taking like a pastor's wife kind of approach. Yeah, kind of. Uh, I have to I, I have to give my wife Megan credit for that one because sure. she cause she was the first one who coined that she said oh yeah Zipporah was kind of being like a pastor's wife to Moses here huh. um, and I think you could make this case for Arwen as well that Arwen's kind of like she's the strong pastor's wife the behind every pastor stands a strong pastor's wife and yeah. like Arwen kind of kind of fulfills that role in, in some ways she, she she's not someone to just be brushed off yeah by any means yeah. I really love kind of her struggle to like with this fact, you know, that she's in love with a, a human and the the inevitability of his death and mm -hmm. like how that how throughout the movies how they wrestle with that. Yeah, yeah. Cuz you don't see that in the book as much. Like in the books they get married and it's just kind of you don't think the movies help to bring out the implications. Yeah. Yes. Because, like, it is a reality. Like, her father, whose name I'm not even sure of. Elrond. El That's not even that hard of one. Anyway, you know, he brings out this, mm -hmm. this thought of, like, he's going to die, and then what? Mm -hmm. You know, you're alone yeah. to, to, to mourn him forever because mm -hmm. you won't die. And then to later have that, like, she sees that vision of a child. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is a good answer. Mm -hmm. This, like, and how it takes this thing, this, like, Elrond who's being more, like, we might say pragmatic, right, about right. this. 
and just puts this much more optimistic spin mm-hmm. on like what that love is and why it's important. I just really liked it. It was it was cool. It was definitely interesting. For sure. Yeah. So now I get to pick. So I'm going to pick Gandalf. Um, who I legitimately think is one of the best. So the... I, I don't know how much you know about like archetypes and stories. So certain characters usually fit certain themes and stuff. We talked about protagonist, right? Um, one, of, one of archetypes and stories is called the sage. And it's usually the mentor figure that pretty much everything they say you're supposed to take as true. Mm-hmm. Right, he might be one of the best sage characters in all of fiction. I like he serves this role so well. I really like him. What do you have to say about Gandalf? Gandalf is awesome. Like whether it's Gandalf the Gray or Gandalf the mm-hmm. White, um, I, I I will say like some people like try to like compare like the Gray and the White. I'm like they're both good. Like. The white is more serious, but he more—he has to be, you know. Sure. The stakes are higher by the time you get to, you know, Gandalf the White. Yeah. But you're right. He's just such a sage character. He has, you know, these, he has these great witty sayings. Like, it's like you said, you know, you just know that like what he's saying is like you need to take it to heart. Yeah. Um, like literally, like probably half of like the most quotable um, lines from Lord of the Rings are probably from Gandalf. Yeah. Um, and like he's, and it's something where it's interesting that you know, he's loyal to the good. You know, he's he's someone who's old and ancient. I mean, literally, he's like, he's like, I forget how exactly how old he is, but he's like, he's older than some of the elves. Like he's like thousands of wow. years old. Yeah. Um, like he was sent into Middle Earth a long, long time ago. Huh. Um, but he is like he's loyal to the good you know unlike unlike Sauron or unlike well unlike Sauron also unlike Saruman you know he sees the evil and the power of Sauron yeah but he says we're not joining him we're gonna fight against him we're gonna defeat him because good must triumph over evil right he says he says to Frodo you know there are other powers that work in this world besides the will of the evil mm-hmm. and you're just kind of that that idea that you know stay faithful to to the good but that that's what true wisdom is staying yeah. faithful to the good because knowing that good will be you know will will triumph in the end um which by the way you could make a biblical parallel with that yeah you definitely could i <laughs> <laughs> a couple of these um yeah i i really like i like that he's jovial at times he can joke he's like he's fun not just like smart and stoic Mm -hmm. he's like a person especially like you said honestly i didn't like i wasn't looking for distinct differences between the gray and the white to be fair but I didn't pick up a ton when I was when I was watching. But I like he's just like I love his ability to still be serious when he needs to be serious, but not have to be all the time. That's cool. 
it's cool to see that in a mentor figure and i think that's like true to real life mentor figures you have a lot of fun with people who are your mentors right yeah and it's not just all serious all the time and i think he does a good job of that yeah i i'm like sensing a general theme throughout this and we might touch this a little later too but in a different episode but that, that like this there's a huge bent toward optimism mm-hmm. in this whole world i mean mm-hmm. like gandalf you know there are more powers than evil at work in this world this is an optimistic view yeah. of this tough situation that they're mm-hmm. in and uh i'm gonna go ahead and introduce sam now yes because I, he might be one of the most optimistic characters I've ever seen in my life. I, how do you feel about Sam? Sam, where can I start about Sam? So I think this is one of your questions later on. I saw, but mm-hmm. Sam is by far my favorite character. No of... way, he's my favorite too. Yes. <laughs> well, we don't have to ask that now. <laughs> there we go. He is just, he's the friend that we all want and that we should all aspire to be. He's the guy that is loyal to the end. That, you know, what what more can you say about him? That he, he's the friend that you just, you want to have a Sam. You want to have a Sam in your life. You want to have someone who says, I am going to go with you. I will follow you even to the crack of doom. You know, that I, I'll stay by your side. I'm, I made Mr. Gandalf a promise, Mr. Frodo. A yeah. promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. Yeah. Another scene that makes me cry up. Oh, Tear yeah. Up and cry, by the way. They he's were... awesome. <laughs> like, just his loyalty, the way that, you know, he's... He sticks up for what's good. He is optimistic, too. I mean, Fr- Frodo says to him, nothing ever dampens your spirits, does it, Sam? It's like, well, those rain clouds might, but... I know, it's so funny. It's like a joke. Uh, it's so good. I, like, he picks, they're like, they're on the mountain. They're, they're there, and Frodo can't even walk. He's like, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. That's so good. It is. Uh, it's an incredible, it picks him up, puts him on his back, and just trudges as best he can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And don't forget, too, like, you know, after, I mean, Fro- like, Frodo gets stung by Shelob, and he's getting wrapped up in spider webs. Yeah. Sam's just there, let him go, you filth. And, like, he's going up against a spider that's literally, like, many times bigger than he is. Yes. And he's just like, come at me, bro. Let's do this. I, that spider. I... Oh, man. Let me tell you, I forgot all about that spider. I think we just block it out because it's so scary. <laughs> it's, I just... Shelob is reason that I hate spiders. I don't blame you. I I literally just forgot this was in this movie. Until I was like... He was in the cave. And I was like... Okay, what's in this cave? I forget about what's in here. And then I saw a spider web and it all came back. I was like... Oh no, it's a big spider. <laughs> That's what's in the cave. I knew that. I just didn't want to remember. <laughs> I, that is a freaky spider. Mm-hmm. It's different, <laughs> and we don't have to get into this now. But it's like most giant spiders are like usually tarantula-like, so they're like hairy and they're a little less. 
that's like recluse like she's like bald like she mm -hmm. just oh it's the worst kind of giant spider oh yeah oh yeah uh, yeah anyway <laughs> not that she's a very vital character but but sam's bravery in that moment mm -hmm. is incredible mm -hmm. i don't know what i would have done i i don't know i just would want to be dead i think but yeah he's sam sam is an incredible character definitely my favorite character also uh, yeah, I like that. I like that that idea. He's the friend we all really want, you know. Like he's the best friend, you know. Yeah, loyal and true blue. And yeah. Tolkien once said, "There's a fame. There's like a pretty fam I guess somewhat famous famous line in the books where he says, "Faithless is he who says farewell when the road darkens." And, like, that's the exact opposite of Sam. Sam is, yeah. like, the one who stays loyal even in the darkest of moments. Yeah. Like, he stays loyal to Frodo no matter what. Yeah. I love Sam. I love he's, Sam. he's awesome. He really is. I love him. And the way he gets drawn into the story, too, is great. Oh! <laughs> I think we talked about that, like, on one of our calls. Where like he gets, get all, like pulls him through the window, and he's like, "I promise I was dropping no ease." Yeah, it's like confounded old Samwise Gamgee. Have you been eavesdropping? I ain't dropping no eaves, so honest. <laughs> it's like so good. It's one of those times where like the, the Middle Earth speak just is. <laughs> it, it ends up being very funny. Like it works so well. <laughs> I yeah. Oh, it's really good. <laughs> so there's one more character that I want to make sure we talk about uh, Aragorn it's probably pretty important that we talk about Aragorn at least a little bit I mean you know he's just the king that's all yeah yeah, just the king <laughs> what do you think about Aragorn what do you think about Aragorn Aragorn's really cool he's a cool character and it's, it's interesting that they make him a little bit more of a dynamic character, I think, in the movies than they, than they do in the books. Because in the books, Aragorn... It's interesting, because in the books, Aragorn is much less hesitant about um, becoming the king. Um, you know, he... His sword, Andril, is reforged in Rivendell, and he has that sword in the books, even as they set out from Rivendell, um, as the Fellowship sets out. Whereas in the movies, he doesn't get the, the sword until he's at um, Dunharrow, when they're about to go to the Pass of the Dead. But it's interesting that, you know, Aragorn's kind of... He has this hesitancy in the movies of, you know, you know I, don't, I don't know if I can be the king, you know, there's weakness. You know, I'd rather just stay as a ranger out in the wild. Um... You know, and eventually, you know, Elrond gives him the sword and says, "You need to put aside the ranger. You need to become who you were born to be." Um, you know, the person who Arwen has been trying to encourage him to be, the person who um, you know, Elrond has tried to encourage him to be. And, you know, just it's kind of something where there's kind of this journey, and it's kind of something where. But when he does take up the sword, Andril, and when he does, you know, go through the paths of the dead and say, you know. You see, like this, I summon you to fulfill your oath, and yeah. like you see, you just see him like start to take up that more kingly, you know, 
approach. And, like, he's had a few moments before that, but, like, you really start to see him take up that authority. Yeah. Um, and he leads, you know, the host of the dead into the battle at Minas Tirith and everything. And he also takes up that leadership as he's, um, you know, as, he, as they're deliberating and as they go to the Black Gate to fight against Sauron and draw out his armies. And once again, you know, I... I get so again. I'm I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian, so I approach things from a Christian worldview. Um, I think there's once again a biblical parallel you can make with Aragorn in the in the movies, and that you know when you look in Scripture, when you see God calling people to do different things, a lot of times people tend to shy away and they're like, oh, God, I don't know, like whether it's someone like Moses, whether it's someone like Gideon, or, you know, there, there are plenty of examples of different people throughout scripture. They, they kind of are like very hesitant. They're like, oh, you know, I don't think I can do it. But then God empowers them, empowers them, you know, through the Holy Spirit or, you know, through different ways. He gives them the strength to do what he has called them to do. And they're able to, and when they do that, like God uses them in mighty and powerful ways. And Aragorn, I feel like, is a parallel of that. Um, you know, of that. There's kind of a, there's a parallel there between how Aragorn he is hesitant, but then when he decides to live into his identity, you know, he become he takes up that authority, and you know, he becomes a very powerful, you know, warrior and king. Um, and I think God, you know, does the same thing with us. And it's not our power, but it, it's His power. But you know, if we're willing to to step into who God is calling us to be, that you know, that's when God works most powerfully through us. That's that's my shameless theological plug into our that's into good. podcast. So that's good. I'm glad. That was a great way to put Aragorn Aragorn's kind of theme there. Is there anyone else that you must talk about? Because <laughs> I don't want to cut you off. There are other names if you if you need to. But what what do you think? I think we can whatever names you want to discuss. We think we know Oh my word! That needs to be talked about, precious. I was about to just not. That was I was this close. I look. The good thing I looked at the list. Also, <laughs> you did that. <laughs> um, it's not yeah. a very good impression, but it's okay. Hey. I Smeagol slash Gollum, whatever you want to call him. What do you think about him? I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I have several. I have, to quote, I have to quote Gandalf. Again, he's got such a great quote. Mm. Smeagol's life is a sad story. He's, he is very, yeah. He's a very tragic character, you know, that he was just, you know... Megan, my wife Megan and I have talked about it. You know, Megan's like, the beginning of The Return of the King always makes me so sad. Because, you know, Smeagol is just, you know, this hobbit just out fishing with his friend out on the river he's not doing anything he's not hurting anyone he's yeah. and then the ring you know his friend deagle finds the ring and then smeagol sees it and he's immediately captivated by it and you know, they, and it turns smeagol into a murderer and he for 500 years he has the ring and it just corrupts him and it just it's just sad to see how the ring takes hold of him yeah and how it like it doesn't let go of him even after he loses the ring um gandalf talks about you know he hates and loves the ring he hates and loves himself and it's just kind of this he's a very tragic character yeah. 
However, um, as we've said with some of the other villains, um, there is evil in him. It's kind of you see this, and it's something where in Smeagol it's really divided. In in Gollum, it's divided into two personalities of Smeagol and Gollum. Where Smeagol is more of like he was once the Hobbit, and you know he misses that. And then there's Gollum, who's you know the evil. I must have the ring. We need to get it back. You know, kind of thing. Um, like there's some goodness there, but there's also, but there's he's still evil. And it's something where you feel bad because you see Smeagol come out at different points. Like you, you say, like okay, he's not that bad. You pity him. You feel bad for him. But then there's the Gollum, and you're just like, this guy is just bad news. Yeah. One of the reasons that I didn't, I hadn't included him on the antagonist list is I I genuinely felt bad for him mm-hmm. almost the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I like I think you're 100% right. He's not good. <laughs> There's not a lot of good here. One of the things I thought was interesting about him though as he's having this conversation with himself several times um, or Smeagol's having a conversation with Gollum clearly it seems like I the the relative kindness that Frodo shows him is bringing out this, like, Smeagol that's there mm-hmm. that that does want, like, that some form of love and camaraderie, mm-hmm. and this is, this is valuable. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, like, gets almost Gollum to, to silence himself, mm-hmm. at least for a little bit. Right. Um, and so, like... I can't help but wonder if there's something here to say about, like, the ability of kindness and and love to affect even, like, Smeagol slash Gollum, who is so warped in this, like, desire for the ring that that he's, like, physically transformed, like, morphed Mm -hmm. into, into, like, a different, a different looking thing. Yeah. Um, but but kindness's ability even to pull some of that out, yeah, and it's ultimately unsuccessful, mm-hmm. which is I think also interesting mm-hmm. that that it might not be that Smeagol wins outright, you know, mm-hmm. that Gollum does come back and this end his end is not great, right? No. And so, I mean, in a way, it's kind of good he came back, but who knows what Frodo would have done. But yeah, just fucking do a quick yeah. side note about that. That that's something that's left out in the movies, by the way. But it is talked about in the books. Is that like Gandalf says of Gollum? You know, like, so there's that there's a great conversation between Gandalf and Frodo, where Frodo says, you know, it's it's a pity that Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance. Mm. And Gandalf says, pity. It was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Do not be so quick to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. My heart tells me that Gollum still has some part to play in all of this, for good or for evil, before this is over. And at the end of the movie, you see, at the end of, at the, end of the Return of the King, you see there was a reason that yep. Gollum showed up. Because apart from Gollum ring probably would not have been destroyed yeah Gollum did have a part to play in this yeah before the end Gandalf was right so that, that's always just that's just a really cool mm. feature about you know you're talking about you know how 
Gollum meets his end. But like that's kind of like that foreshadowing you have in the Fellowship of the Ring that it's fulfilled in the Return of the King. It's pretty cool. He was a very interesting character to me. I think throughout his whole time, especially with Sam and uh, Frodo. Definitely felt very bad for this corruption. But he's not... He's not free from this guilt at all. And yet at the same time... It's so interesting that there's a part for him to play. And this ends in his demise, but it's so vital mm -hmm. that he does that. Yeah. Sure. It's, yeah, it's very interesting. I think he's a very interesting character. And a really cool addition to the cast. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. He's, he's very interesting. I get why people are so kind of intrigued by him. Okay, now... <laughs> is there any other characters that you want to talk about? Now that I haven't missed a glaringly obvious <laughs> character... I can't, think, I can't think of anyone else. So. Yeah, I'm reading the list. I didn't miss any glaringly obvious. Uh, Treebeard's cool. That's all I got. Yes. <laughs> I thought he was neat. Like, it's something with, like, with a lot of characters. We could spend so much time talking yeah. about them, but there's so many characters. Yes. Like, it's, it's hard to talk about all of them and get into all of them, so. Right. Yeah. But this was good. This was good. So this is episode one of our three-episode Lord of the Rings month here in the month of May. Thanks, everybody, for, for listening. Thanks, Daniel, for, for doing this with me and doing two more episodes with me. Um, so Thanks. next... Nope. I was just going to say thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be able to, to talk about it and couldn't have a better person to talk about it with. So. Oh, thanks, man. Next month, um, I'm going to have my friend Cliff on and we're going to be we're going to be doing a show about the video game The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. So if you have any questions that you want to send in about that uh, for me and Cliff to answer, you can email me at lifeslegendspod at gmail.com. No punctuation at all. Just lifeslegendspod at gmail.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Life's Legends. Please like, subscribe, and comment. And until next time, savor your story.